Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. Trauma is not a sign of weakness. Trauma is a separation from safety at the very base level. Um, you know, I think too for grief, you know, I would like to rebrand and just change the lexicon around the word grief. Grief is not the enemy, um, as I've said in my earlier talk, but you know, here's what grief is. It is the cost of loving someone. It's the cost of living in a fallen world. That is Julie Hall, a Christian therapist describing in part the days following the loss of her husband, leaving her suddenly a single mom. The name of this program is Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota, a trauma survivor himself. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program, and our goal is to use story to bring hope and healing for those in need of change. And now let's join part two of our conversation between Julie Hall and Pastor Paul. Hey, so glad you're here on Life Support, and we are joined again this uh, time together with by Julie Hall, who is a therapist in practice and private practice, and she has been telling her story, and we talked a good deal uh, last time about her husband, Ken, and, and her loss of him, and what that was like, and her moving through the church, and and we're going to kind of take that now, we're going to move it into the current issue that we're dealing with in our country, and that's the pandemic and trauma and grief and how that all kind of fits together. So Julie, welcome back. It's so good to have you here again. It was really great to talk with you last time because I think it was really helpful to hear about your experience and how sometimes the church fails and sometimes the church comes through, but you know, Jesus never fails. He's always with us, and there is that one safe person out there that you can find and we're so thankful for that as well. So now here we are. We're in um, a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic. Trauma is being reignited in a lot of people right now because we're sort of collectively going through trauma. In your practice and with the people you work with, how has this begun to manifest itself in people's lives? So that's a great question. The people that I see are already in their story going through a trauma or going through grief. And so what the pandemic has done, it has, if you did, if they did not have an anxiety disorder or if they didn't have, you know, feelings of isolation or anxiety or loneliness, they do now. So it has compounded their initial diagnosis. It has compounded their problems. And unfortunately, we know, or as therapists, we know grieving in isolation is super unhealthy. Grieving in community is so powerful. So we've had to become very, um, you know, experimental in what we choose to tell ourselves. We need to get out. We need to make connection. Whatever that looks like for you, it's going to be highly individual. But what I'm telling my clients is, send that text, pick up the phone, do the FaceTime right while you're thinking of it, you know, sort of do those things. And I can talk about other tools for coping right now um, as we go on further. But basically what I'm noticing is it's compounding grief on grief. So you were telling me earlier that 
there are stages of grief, and are they being switched around, compromised, changed during this pandemic time? Are you seeing a change in how people are working through that? Absolutely. And the staging grief, let me go through the stages of grief for you, and then I'll frame each one of them in the framework of what we may be experiencing in the pandemic. And I would like to start off by saying we are all going through the pandemic together, but we are all not experiencing it the same way. And that is because of your story. That is because of what you brought to the pandemic. That is your past. That is what you were dealing with before we all got thrown into this very surreal you know, unprecedented pandemic. So um, I'm going to talk about the stages of grief as it relates to how I experienced the pandemic. So in January, I was reading an, an article about this novel coronavirus, and it was happening in China. So China is countries away from where I live. So I read the article. I felt compassion for those people. But that's where the script ended for me. I didn't go any further in my thinking. So I was in denial. And then I moved on to anger. When I found out that my rights were being taken away, I could not go to the grocery store, I could not go out to dinner, I could not go to church, all of those things made me ticked. How could that possibly be? I felt anger. I also felt anger that wasn't someone on top of this? What about you know all the organizations and the powers that be? Did they respond too late? Why, didn't, why did it get to this point? So that was anger. And then the bargaining that I'm seeing people you know do and it's, it's always the what if. If I do this, then I expect that. So we're going to bargain. So if I social distance, if I wear a mask, I'm going to be quarantined for two weeks. After that, I fully expect this to be over. And we all know months later, that did not happen. So that's bargaining. And then the next stage of grief is depression. And that's pretty obvious um, what that is. That is sadness. That is loss. That is, um, I didn't get to go be in the emergency room with my loved one. I didn't get to do a ritual of celebration of life. I didn't get to have a funeral for my loved one. I didn't get to go to a baby shower, a wedding, a bridal shower, the high school graduations that were, you know, completely changed. So that is depression. That is sad. We have lost that. On top of that, you know, there are folks that have lost their job. They have lost their identity as a result of losing their job. Um, and then uh, we move into acceptance. And acceptance is really where the power lies, and I want to be really careful. Acceptance does not mean, oh, you know what, suck it up, tough it out, yep, I got this, I'm not going to worry about it, I can deal with it, all right. It's really not. Acceptance is acknowledging what is. This is what it is. This is the hand we have been dealt. Where the power lies is control what you can control and identify what you can't control. I can control how I respond. I can control by putting safety protocols in place with my family, my home, my business. What I can't control is the actions and activities and responses of other people that are choosing to respond to this in a different way. So that's the acceptance piece. And then the last piece of the um, stages of grief is meaning. And making meaning is transforming what it is to something that makes sense to you. So basically, it's making sense out of the senselessness. So it's, you know, being able to step in and say, all right, I'm going to need to do my work differently. For me as a therapist, I needed to brush up on my video skills and learn how to do Zoom call after Zoom call. I had to learn what it meant to have Zoom fatigue. 
all of these things that are real life but were necessary responses to make meaning of how do we live in this time? What do we do with it? So in sexual abuse, you're, you suffer many times from re-victimization because there's something in you that kind of sets the stage for the next one and the next one. And now we're in this kind of cumulative trauma. Is that somewhat true for someone who's been through trauma before, that, that the chance of being re-traumatized to a deeper extent is there because of what's happened to you before? Absolutely. And the reason for that is trauma actually lives in our tissues. Trauma is, so when there's a brain traumatized, there's two parts of your brain. There's the emotional brain and the rational brain. When you are experiencing trauma, your emotional brain is what I call bottom heavy. So for example, when someone dies, we have the acute response, which is our body is flooded with hormones, stress hormones. And that's why maybe you're not able to think or do math or do you know simple recognizing um, of people and places that you were able to before because you are living in your emotional brain. It is heavy with the chemicals. So what happens with people in trauma, they have got that beforehand. So they've got prior trauma. They may be in a good place where they are being ministered to, they are having therapeutic interventions, and they are doing well. However, they will be more susceptible to be re-traumatized from another loss. So we have to give each other grace because as you watch people act this out, it's easy to make assumptions. We really have no idea what that person has gone through or is going through. Absolutely. I love that. And so that kind of leads into what I was going to say about you know, grief sharing the landscape with trauma. So, you know, trauma is not a sign of weakness. Trauma is a separation from safety at the very base level. Um, You know, I think too for grief, you know, I would like to rebrand and just change the lexicon around the word grief. Grief is not the enemy, um, as I've said in my earlier talk, but you know, here's what grief is. It is the cost of loving someone. It's the cost of living in a fallen world. Uh, People will die, dreams will die, fairness dies, hope dies. But God's love for us does not die. Love does not die. So here's what grief is, and here's what trauma is. Um, Trauma is a separation from safety. It's invasive. It invades all areas of your life. Um, It's very unique to the individual. The type of trauma will determine the impact and the effectiveness of treatment. Trauma is a very, very complex dynamic in a person's life. Um, grief and trauma can deepen spiritual beliefs. It can also destroy relationships. It can bring deeper connections. It can cause a crisis of faith. So again, and, and this is why I like to look at grief and trauma, that loss and that acute suffering that you go through, and then it changes into a more persistent, prolonged, you know, um, situation of trying to make meaning, trying to make sense out of the senselessness of why my person took their life, why my person was murdered, why my person died of, uh, you know, an illness. Um, You know, and so, again, I I do like what you said, Paul, how every new trauma activates an an old trauma, and it's very, very true. Do you think it's also more difficult right now because we don't see an end to this? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I often wonder who gets to tell me when it's over and how will I react? I'm almost fearful of how I'll react. So there's that fear that's compounded by the seemingly endless nature of this. 
So how does one cope with that unknown, with the uncertainty that this could go on for another month or it could go on for three more years? We have really no idea. Mm-hmm. It's such a good question. You know, I do think it is, again, it's all about reaching out, making your voice heard. Go and talk to someone if you are feeling isolated. Go and get professional help if you need it. Talk to a like-minded individual that can maybe just be a sounding board for your lament or your venting. We're all going to, again, like I said, experience this differently. So we're living in a period right now which we can definitely liken to ambiguous grief, where we are physically present and we are psychologically absent. And that is holding two things at the same time, which is really, really hard. So we are holding the uncertainty, and then we are holding what the landscape looks like now. So again, this will be dependent on each person and what they can get some tools around um, to make sense of how are we going to do this? And, and can we be open at looking at a completely different normal? We'll be back to the conversation with Julie Hall in just a moment. You know, Pastor Paul is hosting this program from a unique perspective. After losing his first wife to cancer, he then experienced the homicide of his young adult son, Taylor. And that's what life support really is all about, survivors in discussion with other survivors. My name is Steve Johnson. Executive Director of Five Stone Media, and we are so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program. For a video version of this and for other conversations like this, you can visit fivestonemedia.com slash life support. And now, back to this conversation between Pastor Paul and therapist Julie Hall. Can we be open at looking at a completely different normal? Yeah, we may have to, mm-hmm. and our kids may have to, mm-hmm. and I find it difficult to be a parent. I've got uh, 13-year-old boys at home who are wondering, am I going to go to school? Am I not going to go to school? Are we going to play baseball? Aren't we going to play baseball? And on it goes, and so not only uh, do parents have to get themselves through this, but they've got to watch out for their kids. They've got to worry about their aging parents, the whole thing. And you were sharing last time we were together about your journey through grief. And you were talking a little bit about how God entered into that grief. So how can a believer that's just kind of muddling through this pandemic right now embrace the idea that God is still at work even when that person can't see him? Just like you had to. Tell, Tell me what that was like. You know, again, it's it's a training over your heart. It is really lamenting. It is really wrestling with God. It is really saying, okay, I'm going to choose to tell myself that you are real and you are good. And I'm going to go to your word and I'm going to find evidence to back that up because it certainly doesn't look like it. I look to the right. I look to the left. I look straight ahead. And all the things, especially now that we are seeing, oh my gosh, and just the other layer of all the racial unrest and all the, mm. the many, many um, challenges that we're going through as a nation. You know, we, again, we need to focus on the fact that it is in God's word. That is why we have it. And I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, but here's what I would say also. You know, hope and fear, they work the exact same way. You can decide. Do you want fear to win? Do you want to put your power to fear? 
Or do you want to, every time you become fearful about the unknown and the uncertain, do you want to consciously tell yourself, I'm handing it over to hope. I'm handing it over to hope. And even if you have to do the hand motions, I mean, I did a lot of putting on the armor of God when I was in some of my really, really dark things. And I literally, as corny as it sounds, like did the Bible verse and put on the armor of God. I needed to have something that was pressed upon my heart so deeply that I actually started believing it with seeing it totally different. There's a huge disconnect. Yeah, there really is. And I would, you know, just say to my pastoral colleagues that this is a time when people need us to show them what it means to engage God in that way during this time. Our sheep don't need us to be angry at our government or, you know, promoting a political party. At the same time as we need to be honest with ourselves and get help where we need it, because there is help needed, Mm -hmm. our sheep need us to pave the way toward a deeper relationship with Christ. Because in my theology of suffering, when you're going through pain of any kind, and especially intense times of pain, that's when God does his best work. That's what it's for. Have you found that too? I love that. Yeah, like I said, I have never felt closer to him than when I was in the deepest, darkest pit in my life. I knew he was right there with me. I knew it, and I can't explain it, but I knew it. And that's what we have to give people. That's where the hope is. Hope's not in the political party. The hope isn't in a vaccine. The hope is in Jesus. Absolutely. And that's always been that way. And so as you're working through this now with your with your clients and you're kind of navigating through not just the pandemic but the racial unrest— is there a danger that you see of anger becoming uh, an outlet that begins to do damage to people around us as we try to work through this? In other words, the the brunt of this is going to end up landing on our spouses, our kids, uh, people we work with, because it seems like we always want to blame somebody when things are going badly. Mm-hmm. Would that right. be a fair fear, or would there, are there other ways that people are, are working this through? You know, I do think it's here's where it bears the weight is we can choose what story we're going to tell ourselves based on where we're getting our information. Again, it is, you know, I think there are some people that um, anger is such a big, scary, messy emotion. There will be those folks that will just avoid it. Um, I do think we have to acknowledge we have a lot of angry people. We have a lot of anger seething in this country. Um, I do think we are all in it together. I think we're all persevering under just unprecedented times. And so again, it is changing our core belief. What are we going to believe about this? Are we going to believe that anger is the way to respond? That is the only response. Are we going to be, you know, justified and vindicated with our anger? Or are we going to, you know, take it to the Lord and believe that he still is sovereign and he has a plan for this, you know? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And it seems to me that there is work that needs to be done in our own lives, in our own hearts. In other words, if we're going to invest in our relationship with Christ, this is when the payoff happens because those roots have gone deep. And now you begin to see that, yes, all of these things that I've been um, learning and seeing are now really need to be true. The problem is, is the church isn't very well equipped at times to deal in this kind of depth. Uh, Church in the United States 
has become a consumeristic enterprise almost where the bigger the better the the broader and the shallower seems to be successful and so i believe less and less christians less and less believers have been exposed to proper doctrine and in that kind of depth and teaching that you're talking about so if i'm listening to the show right now and i know that i need to deepen myself um what would you do if that were you to deepen yourself what do you do to become more and more synthesized with jesus in your own life again you know i make a conscious choice to put myself in places where I have resources that I can go to and read and pray and lament and talk to other people. I think, you know, it would be really, really powerful if the church could be, you know, transformed and be seen as the place where this really is, like, the church is synonymous with the grace delivery system of God. If that could truly be something, I do think the church has a huge responsibility, and I do think it comes down to the basic premise and the you know, major command, love one another. It does. And I know that sounds really simple, but I do believe, you know, each one of us has a responsibility to go and, you know, wrestle with what's going on. You know, read, um, get involved, go to your church, you know, hand it over and, you know, love like Jesus did. You know, Jesus didn't get on a platform and scream at sinners he actually went and had dinner with the marginalized. He went and went to the angry people and went to the, you know, the sad people and the broken people. And, you know, I, I have this adage that I always say um, when I start talks, and it's, you know, I really believe this, that broken speaks to broken. And oftentimes the broken people will teach us the most about God and ourselves. Yeah, that's really good. And I think, too, that as we're working through this as a group, you know, we need to make choices about how we're going to encourage each other and be an instrument of encouragement in other people's lives. Many times as I'm praying in the mornings, you know, God will just lay it on my heart, text that person, send that person a note. And those things mean so much. And I'll just put a plug in for, you know, uh, Faith Radio. You know, this is the kind of place where you can make a choice. Am I going to absorb you know, good and godly content, or am I going to live on Facebook and Twitter where everything is like the world's falling apart? And sometimes we forget that Jesus was living in a time of incredible unrest. The Romans were hated by the Jews, and Paul was living in a time where Nero was 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 a horrific leader. We're not the first ones. And sometimes that biblical you know, that biblical idea of knowing what the Bible says can also give us historical context to, to our faith. Other believers have gone before us, and, um, and that great cloud of witnesses is watching us, you know, right now, so we're not alone. You know, Julie, I, I, I just want to wrap up by asking you, and, and I really appreciate your time. This has really been great. How can someone get a hold of you, or, or what kind of contact mechanism do you have um, uh, for your practice and, and for you? Okay, so um, if you go on my website, there is a phone number, and the website is www.renewinghopemin, and be sure you don't forget the MN, because there's a lot of Renewing Hopes in different states, but um, renewinghopemin.com. Okay, and uh, that would be a worthwhile thing. So listen, I know that you um, give talks all over, and uh, that you, um, you know your stuff, but I just want to encourage you as well that God is with you. I'm sorry you've had to, to go through this. And many people in um, your profession, my profession, are people that have come out of brokenness. And um, but you know your your limp, so to speak, um, is what gives you credibility in other people's lives. So thank you so much for being here. 
Absolutely. It was my pleasure. That's Julie Hall. And I want to encourage you to, you know, we were talking a little bit about in the midst of this pandemic, God can seem far away. But Jeremiah 31.3 tells us the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And I think it's really important for us to understand in this difficult period of time that we're living in, that no matter what goes wrong next, and it seems like every day there's some new story, that God is still faithful, and he has never changed and never will change. And it's also important to focus on God and not on all of the trials that are going on around us. You know, I'm one who believes that we need to know what's happening because we have to interact with our world. We have to be knowledgeable. We want to be able to speak around the water cooler with some kind of an educated opinion. However, that faithfulness of God that we see there in Jeremiah is what you need to cling to and know that God is with you. This is Life Support. What we do on this program is we tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus through suffering and trauma. And so I want to thank you for spending time with us. I want to thank our fine partners, Faith Radio. It's MyFaithRadio.com or Five Stone Media, where you can watch a video version of this at FiveStoneMedia.com and at Ridgewood Church, which is where we are right now, MyRWC.org slash Life Support. Also would love to have you follow me on Twitter at Pastor Paul J. So again, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. for listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support